Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. Hey everyone, my guest today is David Lees, who is the VP of Development and Engagement for the Frontier Center for Public Policy. David, it's good to have you with me. How are you today? You know, I'm doing great. It's good to see you, Leon. I'm looking forward to a conversation about some of the things that are going on and, uh, and, and happening in the last few weeks. Uh, tell me a little bit about your role at Frontier and then your perspective on this situation that's unfolding in Ottawa. Well, you know, it's um, a situation that is rapidly unfolding and my role is working as a vice president of uh, development engagement at Frontier. And a lot of my training has been in both policy and in other areas, but all uh, bringing also an experience as a former elected official as well out of uh, Waterloo region. And so I know uh, kind of that world as well. So mm -hmm. this is a situation that has, um, is really, a, a, really a, a historic time for our country uh, from so many angles. Um, if we look at how this crisis started, its background, uh, the incredible sacrifices that Canadians have made the last two years, uh, this has not been an easy time for our country. And I think what we observe is a, a time where so many significant policy errors are being made and indeed political errors that are making the situation much, much worse. Yeah, that is so true. Um, is this about political parties or what is going on? Is it, a, is it a thirst for power? Is it deeper than that? If you dive in, what's going on that way? Well, there's so many different levels. And I mean this from a very much a nonpartisan point of view. I think if you look strategically at this situation, um, the, the prime minister and his team, for whatever reason, have really initiated a vaccine mandate for a particular group of people, namely uh, uh, truckers uh, internationally, for whatever reason. And one could speculate that it was really about kind of so-called wedge politics, being able to divide people. But uh, for whatever reason, they have undertaken a mandate which really doesn't make any sense that we're able to figure out. There's no medical or health evidence that has been tabled um, and they went after this group for whatever reason. And in many ways, it was a terrible, tragic miscalculation uh, because they had chose, um, to put it bluntly, a fight with a group of people, uh, many of whom ironically are vaccinated. There doesn't seem to be any apparent problem the last two years, but they went ahead with this mandate regardless. And now they're, they've, they've fought back with peaceful protest. And um, now that's all in jeopardy. And instead of de-escalating the situation, instead of um, accepting the invitation of the protesters for dialogue and discussion, it has been uh, a strategy of escalation. And I think it's been very tragic now for everybody. What are they getting out of this? Like, why take this tact? Well, I, I think what you notice, if you look at um, the historical record the last two years, I think that there has been changes of tone. Um, when you look at this uh, situation, there was a kind of a collaborative tone initially, a concern where all Canadians work together as a team, shall we say, to make enormous sacrifices. There has been um, some degree of debate around um, these policies. We know that in retrospect, the lockdowns really have not made any significant difference 
uh, tragically, but they've made a huge impact on people's lives, mental health, uh, suicide, um, business closures. And that's been, I think, for every, every Canadian to see. Was it John Hopkins that came out and said that all these mandates and lockdowns and masks made a 0.2% difference? Yeah, that's right. There's There's been um, uh, considerable research compilations, not just from John Hopkins, but so many other research institutes at Frontier. We've, we've examined so many of them that clearly demonstrate that the efficacy of lockdowns has been marginal at best. Um, so that, that has come with enormous cost yeah. in terms of lives, suicide, um, you know, across the board, the impacts on children, um, the deferred um, surgeries uh, that people have been able to undertake. So this will come to haunt us for a long time. The money spent, it has been huge. So coming out of this, I think what's happened, if, if you look at it, is during the last election, the tone changed by the Trudeau administration to start using a kind of um, a divide strategy where you'd go after certain groups to vilify them. And that would play to a base that they've nurtured. I think many Canadians are understandably afraid of the virus. So many are not now, but that has been a constant drumbeat and message that has gone on as one of fear. Yep. When in fact, now we know that Statistically, without any doubt, um, the mortality rates here now for COVID, especially with Omicron, are, are much below the seasonal flu. And I know that's a message that a lot of people do not hear, but this has been well established. Yep. And this is something that, if anything, should be communicated to build confidence and not fear in the Canadian public. And, and that's something that for those who maybe don't know about Frontier, but this is what you do. You study all the stuff that is out there and then try to bring it to some wisdom. That's right. We really are focused on trying to look at the factual evidence and there's always healthy debate around, um, you know, what are those facts? But we, we do so very much in a nonpartisan way to be able to try to serve Canadians better um, and to improve public policy for the benef benefit of Canadians. And I think what we're going through now is unfortunately a train wreck of public policy on so many fronts. Yeah. You know, when people are um, controlled by fear and then they realize they shouldn't have been, they've, that it's not been a real fear that they've been manipulated, man, the, uh, the sense of anger uh, and that begins to rise up. And, and that's, I think, what, that's what sets people free. I'm not living under fear anymore. I want freedom. And uh, so this, the freedom convoy, you know, um, from what we can see, and of course there's differences, and we want peaceful uh, protest. Um, they have really caused people to have hope. And that hope uh, seems to make people stand up everywhere across our country. Wouldn't you think? Or don't you think? Uh, I, I think that's true. I think that um, although many people within the Canadian population do not necessarily agree um, with their protests, there's many that do. Mm -hmm. And that's a legitimate debate. In fact, yeah. it's interesting the Prime Minister himself, some nine months ago, said that, you know, would, when asked, would they institute these kinds of mandates, um, his reply was, no, they're too divisive. And he was right. 
mm-hmm. was right. And, you know, during these difficult challenges, I think in Canada, our country has been served well when we have governance that emphasizes a healthy respect for different perspectives. Right. And we don't vilify our political opponents or ideological opponents. And I think that's what's going on now. And it's, 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 it's a turn for the worse, in my opinion. We need more than ever healthy debate. And instead of um, respecting that, I mean, I think the, the prime minister could have easily have diffused this. I think that's the irony or paradox of this yeah. situation is that everybody's if saying really that it is an emergency. Why would one not take leadership to take the initiative to dialogue uh, with these protesters? I think that would go a long way to show respect instead of, you know, doing the old playbook of trying to vilify people as, as a bunch of extremists that we, we all know that that's not the case. Yeah. You know, Talk to me a bit about history when it comes to big government intervention versus like individual and private business solutions to, to national problems. Like what lessons can be learned from that? Well, there's huge lessons. I think if we look at <clears throat> the strength of our country itself, it has been built on people working together as individuals, as families, as communities to be able to work at solutions to our problems. I think Canadians are very have been a very practical people. And I think that our first inclination is to turn to ourselves as a community to rebuild. Um, and I think that we do well to, to really strengthen that value instead of just saying, well, the solution is just simply with government because it isn't. Um, as a community, we, can, we have the flexibility to, to make quick solutions. Uh, we are strong and we have the ability to work together and I think that's where our strengths are as Canadians. It's not by heavy-handed actions by the state. So we don't need bigger and bigger government to give us uh, more and more security and solve problems. We just set us free to, to be who we are as Canadians, and, and we will find a lot of these answers. Indeed. In fact, that frontier, that would be, if we are biased, that would be our bias is to look to community for solutions. Uh, and within that, that's why freedom is extremely important uh, where people can make their choices. And if you deny people those choices, um, they're not able to learn and grow. Um, how do you get a feedback loop if someone's always intervening and intervening and saying, no, if you make that choice, we're going to be there to help you and bail you out. Well, you need that kind of feedback loop to be able to thrive and grow. You know, with, um, with the prime minister and <clears throat> taking the measures that he did, uh, these emergency measures, um, you know, we've got a lot of people saying, okay, this is kind of like the last gasp of somebody. Uh, and then there's others who just are saying, no, this is just going to continue like this. What's, what are your thoughts on okay. what is going on with this? Well, we really believe that the introduction of this Emergency Measures Act, formerly the War Measures Act, it's really martial law, is gross overreach. It's draconing, mm-hmm. draconian. It is a dark day for our country uh, because the powers of these laws are so far reaching. And it's been proven already that these, these emergency powers are not necessary. There's no evidence to suggest that they are. Why is this? Well, a key point of logic would say, well, all the illegal border, border crossings are all now cleared and that the act was not needed. It wasn't there. So we can deal with this through effective policing mm-hmm. and through dialogue. Unfortunately, a lot of the political leadership has not been doing 
I would suggest their job by not reaching out in um, with respect to have that kind of dialogue and discussion. Uh, if this is such an emergency, that is the very first thing you would do is you would proactively work to dialogue and listen to the mm -hmm. other side, yeah, come to sure. some kind of compromise. And I think that there's a myth here that's being propagated, if I may, Leon, and that is that Canadians, many Canadians have been told through, I would say, the, the mainstream media, that somehow there's no exceptions to these vaccine mandates. That is simply not correct. There are many exceptions that have been made. Agricultural workers, as an, as an example, the truckers are an essential service. So why would we go after them specifically to alienate them and pick a fight with them? For cynical politics, I hope not. And, and that's what it appears to be. And so this is really quite disturbing. And I think Canadians really need to wake up and say, um, they really need to, to safeguard and be a voice. I think the premier's opposition now, many of them are opposed to it, need to really uh, speak up and vigorously go after the uh, this emergency act. And I think I would encourage citizens to call their members and be able to voice their concern, become informed about this. This is a very, very important time in the history of our country. You know, with the premiers that are already speaking up, and I think there's four, or maybe more, I don't know, um, they've already presented their plan, set down dates as when they're not going to do, you know, QR codes, masks gone, etc. And then the feds don't seem to be responding at all. Um, and I think some people, uh, you know, they don't know what does that mean? Can a province just go ahead and bring as much freedom as it wants? If the federal government doesn't, where does that weigh in? Is that just for travel uh, or can you kind of sort that out for us a little bit? Well, sure. Um, a lot of these mandates or approach to lockdowns was really a shared function. We're in a federal government, a federal system where there's shared powers between the federal government and the provinces. So the provinces are key leaders in this as well. And uh, to their credit, many of them are climbing down from this uh, uh, crazy perch of being locked down and mandates. So they're opening up and normalizing society. And I think they need to be applauded. And I think that's in keeping with the science. We see this worldwide. Numerous countries are well opened. Many jurisdictions across North America, including the United States. And uh, there's more coming all the time. And so the irony is that the world has changed even more significantly the last three or four months with the uh, identification of the Omicron variant, which is uh, very contagious. In fact, um, myself and my family even got it um, over Christmas and in January. Um, and, uh, and, and I was vaccinated. So this is, we're, case, we're a case study. In fact, I believe the prime minister got it as well. So there's no stopping this variant. So why would you institute why would you institute more mandates? It's totally illogical. Mm -hmm. So it's it, instead of drawing down or or um, uh, trying to ratchet down the political dra political drama regarding the situation, if anything, it's being ratcheted up. And I think that is uh, entirely wrong because it doesn't need to happen. This will come at tremendous cost for our nation, both economically. And I think socially and politically, as we undermine the trust that we have in our institutions. And that's uh, that's very unfortunate. So what do you think the political fallout's going to be, you know, as the dust settles with some of the stuff that uh, our prime minister has been doing? 
What's what is the fault? What's going to yeah. happen? Well, I I certainly don't have a crystal ball, but I think this is a major moment in the history of our country, and I think it's brought a, a, a lot of focus. I think on the Trudeau administration for people to ask why did they introduce this mandate? What is the health evidence? Why are they doing this? Um, why are they cracking down and choking out? peaceful political protest. Does this make sense? Is this fair? And I think many Canadians are very practical, fair-minded people. And regardless of your opinion, um, that peaceful protest, the freedom of conscience is very vital for the future of our country. And that's been proven throughout our history, going back to the Magna Carta and beyond. And so what we need to do is take a hard look at that and renew that. And I think that uh, hopefully this will be a wake-up call and I think it may have uh, significant political ramifications for this government. I think that it's uh, it's kind of a step down for them in terms of asking major questions. Are they interested in the health and welfare and the rebuilding of our country? Or is this just simply cynical politics? Yeah, that's so true. The um, Frontier is a think tank on public policy. What exactly does that mean? Well, we try to follow uh, public policy. We try to look at the facts and evidence and really, in a nonpartisan way, uh, provide analysis that tries to serve Canadians better. There's a lot of things that we can learn from other jurisdictions internationally and um, across the country to better serve our country. And that, that for us is a very important moment as we look to the future of rebuilding our country after what has been a very, very difficult time uh, for a country. I was chatting with um, a lawyer. He said it's more of a wake-up call that we the Canadians need to wake up and then get involved, stay involved, and that for the generations ahead of us, we must always stay awake. Uh, keep your hand on the wheel. All of us are, are at fault to a certain degree here with just being so lethargic about the freedoms that we have. Would you agree? I, I think you're right on, Leon. I think many Canadians have taken for granted the prosperity, the quality of life, if you will, and indeed the freedoms that have been so important for our country. And this is a time where we need to kind of renew our sense of why those values are important and why they've brought us to where we are. And we, we really need those more than ever as we rebuild the future of our country. And that's not for the sake of us, that's for the sake of future generations. I'm hearing uh, a lot of people, uh, when we go live, talking about um, the WEF. What is that? Well, um, you mean the World Economic Forum? Mm -hmm. um, well, that's interesting that you raise that, is the World Economic Forum has been very interesting to watch its evolution over the years. A lot of that has been centered in uh, Davos and um, with, um, you know, uh, significant international personalities like Klaus Schwab. And there's been a vision that has come out of the World Economic Forum for kind of the quote, great reset, the opportunity to reset our world economy, to make a quote, environmentally more friendly, to be able to institute much more global types of governance mechanisms for the world. Um, it, it's, it's, it's fairly involved, but I think that is also a challenge for debate that Canadians should be aware of in the sense that where can we as Canadians have democratic institutions that serve us 
in our country, knowing that not all things global are in fact about serving Canadians and serving your lives. And I think this is uh, one, of the, the con- one of the debates that our country needs to get into because I, I'm not sure that it serves Canadians well. So what are the concerns that others are voicing? Because um, everything you just said sounds good. What, what could be wrong here? So what are the concerns then uh, mm-hmm. that, that people have with, with the World Economic Forum? Well, there's many. Let's just take one example. One of them has been the movement uh, towards, quote, green or alternative energy. And the debate is whether it's in fact green, uh, whether in fact um, it actually is going to allow people to even have a very comparable standard of living if energy costs um, go up radically. Like if, if, your, if your heating bill goes up by four or five times, um, are you going to be able to function very well as a middle class? And I would, we would say no. Um, this is a huge threat. I think also we have a situation where there's a movement afoot to be able to create uh, governance structures where the ability for you to influence your decision makers is so far reached from your reality that you will not have a voice mm-hmm. in your future. We've always believed that at the Frontier Center that uh, your governance should be close to the people as possible, that you should have as a local region, a province, have the most political authority. We don't believe in larger government, not just in size, but in scale of governance. So that's why our bias has been to say more power should go to the province and ideally the local um, municipal government level, not the federal government. Yeah, I've often heard it said by people that try to move um, authority and power down Exactly. Uh, rather yeah. than always taking it up, you know, what's the lowest level, uh, you know, you know, right at the where the ditch is, you know, who's digging That's the ditches, right. who's there that can make a proper decision rather than to remove all these decisions. Exactly. And I think, Leon, that's a, a great summary. We want to put power closest to the people, mm-hmm. whereas the globalists are about pushing power to them at a global level where the only voices that will be heard are arguably special interest groups and the powerful who are um, at that global level. So your voice will be drowned out. And uh, we don't think that that will serve Canadians. And I think that what you have as an administration, uh, I think that that kind of history and connections are well known to those, uh, those levels. And I think that that's, uh, that should be vigorously debated. We certainly would not, would not support that kind of policy direction at all. So when you use the word globalist, because it's a term that's being used around, what do you? What's the definition of a globalist? Well, um, there's there's many markers of that, and we could go into it for quite a while. But a lot of the globalists would be very much in favor of things such as a global economy, where a lot of economic production, the idea is to offshore it to places like China and elsewhere, where somehow it can be done at a lower marginal cost. But then what goes with that is the, uh, the uh, employment, the jobs. And uh, there's also onshoring as well, which is really about bringing in um, uh, immigration, which uh, really fills jobs that arguably should be filled by Canadians. So you need to have a balance on these things and you need to build your country in a way that serves Canadians, that employs them, that allows us to be able to be competitive 
in a very competitive economy. And unfortunately, in Canada's case, we have offshored way too many things in terms of advanced manufacturing, technology. Um, if anything, a strategic direction to ask is, how are we producing more added value things that require knowledge and intellectual property so that our kids have a future? Um, and if we keep offshoring things to places such as China, we, we actually undermine our future. Yeah, it's like people forget that it sounds so good when, it, when you just look at structures and systems and, yeah. and bringing equality. The problem is, is within the flawed leader themselves. Mm -hmm. That, you know, what are their motives? What do they want? Are they power right. hungry? Yeah. What do they truly well, there, believe? There's also, Leon, a, a significant train of thought that would say a lot of the globalist movement is actually putting China in charge. Hmm. So, for example, let's take the green energy movement. Um, and there's different actors really have, that have an interest in that. Some for example, are what we refer to as greenwashers, people who do energy that is not actually energy friendly. Um, it's not reliable. It's not cost effective. It's hugely subsidized. So like windmills, as an example, are hugely subsidized. Yeah. So it's an illusionary proposition yeah. to say that actually it's green energy. It's not. Mm -hmm. um, so then what happens is those people have very clear commercial interest in promoting that narrative, right? So who were, who were the sponsors of Greta Thunberg, as an example? Well, we know who they were. It was the green energy industry. They're the people who created her boat and got her over to Scotland. And so they are trying to take a screen, a kind of an index of criteria. It's kind of like the successor of uh, socially responsible investing. And they put their criteria around the values that they think is important. And then they direct your money accordingly. And you as an investor may or may not really even be aware of how they're using their money to move and, and create that kind of globalist agenda. Well, the question is, is that transparent? Is that being accountable? And in fact, is that kind of movement of money, is that actually bypassing our democratic institutions? So this is a different form of globalism today that is really not about working through the existing current democratic institutions. It's about doing a bypass around them. And we would argue that that does not serve Canadians well. Canadians, we live in an incredible country. And why would we allow people to uh, use our money to kind of do an end run around our democratic institutions. So that's something that a lot of Canadians are not aware of. No. And uh, that's part of the research that we're doing at Frontier to start bringing that out in the open so we can have a public discussion. That's so true. When you look at what you said earlier, that if we continue to become uh, more globalist or uh, where it's just one, everything is like one forum around the world, we don't have a voice. It comes away uh, from the people and it gives more power if if a person can gain power, man, they can gain, they can control a lot of things. And so having separate countries that learn to get along together, is that the better way for the future as far as having autonomous countries who vote in their leaders? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's a, a, a very good question. The reality is that we live in an incredible world 
but our countries are very different um, from each other. There are some countries that have much more in common than others, like uh, Western nations mm-hmm. um, and, and, and others. Um, but it's simplistic and it gross oversimplification to say that we're all just one happy family. There are many nations, as we know, mm-hmm. that are incredibly corrupt. It's not to say that Canada is perfect, but we do value uh, the rule of law. And um, it would be absurd to think that somehow, for example, in the area of human rights, um, that we should somehow take it to a United Nations tribunal when so many of those persons around that tribunal are from countries that do not value human rights. So there's all kinds of um, ironies to this whole globalist movement that one has to think through critically and say, is that movement really that simplistic as that we're all going to go to the United Nations and it's all going to be the solution. And we would say, no, it wouldn't be. Thank you so much for being with me, David. We've, we, we jumped in all over the place to a lot of topics, but there are things that I'm hearing about from people uh, and, they, and they want to know. So we'll talk again, but thank you for being with me. It's been an honor, Leon, and uh, wishing everybody a great day. Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv.